reduce your waste, cut your cost efficiencies and, and have better cash flow management. I think that's going to be challenged over the next few years. This is The E-Commerce Leader, a show for you, the owner of a thriving online business. In this shorter episode, we bring you our hot takes on topical and central e-commerce subjects, fresh from our expert panel, Chris Green, Jason Miles, Kyle Hamer, and myself, Michael Beasley. Let's jump in. Today's sponsor is Eva, the most intelligent Amazon scaling toolkit online. Amazon sellers need exact, quick-to-read profit reports. Many sellers already pay a lot of money for these. Eva has world-class finance analytics with crystal-clear graphs included at no extra cost. Eva serves hundreds of seven-figure sellers, averaging a 51% increase in profits. To get a 15-day free trial, just go to amazingfba.com forward slash Eva. That's amazingfba.com ba.com forward slash eva has china sourcing finished for e-commerce is it on the way out this is the question we're dealing with today and the e-commerce leader calling show so china has become the go-to place indeed the dominant place for sourcing products for all retail and indeed many other non-retail products including of course e-commerce trouble first started in paradise in 2016 when the uk us government imposed tariffs quite substantial tariffs on imports from China, which have not changed since then. Well, I don't mean they've not changed, but they have not gone away. The pandemic created massive supply chain issues all around the globe. But now in 2022, as of the time of recording in May 2022, there has been a giant zero tolerance COVID lockdowns in China. And the question is whether this is the beginning of the end or if it's a temporary thing. At least that's one of the several questions we're going to talk about. Today, we're talking with our expert panel, Kyle Hamer and Chris Green. I'm Michael Vizier in London, England. Welcome to the show. Gents, let's get into this exciting topic. Who wants to go first? Kyle, if you've got lots to say on this one. Sure. A man with, in the firing line with products coming from China right now, I'm imagining. Yes. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, it is really, for me, a exercise in risk management. I think that ultimately, when you start to think about wherever you're sourcing from, there, there's always risk involved. doesn't matter unless you're making it, even if you're making it in your backyard, there's still some level of risk associated in business. I think what is continuing to happen is that the probability of sourcing issues are going to, it looks like it's continuing to go, right? Like it's continuing to increase. So I think for me, it really comes down to what is, where, where are we at from a temperature? I, I looked, I think it has a, a bit of a spectrum too, where you have started in 2016, you, you start to feel the rumblings and you're like, okay, something's going on here. Is this going to be super transitory? It's just like a big, just geopolitical, whatever. And or will it be persistent? And what we begin to see and even probably increase from a rhetoric standpoint is that this is becoming more of a persistent sort of positioning between the US and China. And so I think that it's not going to go away. I think Chinese sentiment just in general from the US is at a, you know all time low. And, and I think that's also true on the Chinese side as well. I think when they talk about the US, because there's just so much essential media on both sides that are, are talking them down. And so it really is going to be, I, 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 I don't want to say that it's over definitively. What I would argue is that 
you better have a backup plan and you better have your backup plan in motion as of a year ago, <laughs> most likely, depending on like the supply chain stuff that's going on in order for you to have business continuity. So again, it goes back to risk management. It's all about business continuity. If something happened in China or in the South China Sea, what's the impact going to be to your business, right? Does that mean that you are bringing over like importing more inventory and sitting on it for longer periods of time, just tying up cash flow. Does it mean that you are looking for alternative sourcing, alternative sourcing for your manufacturing? Maybe you're looking in different countries. Maybe you're looking to vertically even just actually own your manufacturing outright. Uh, I know that's a, a play for much larger companies. They're looking to try basically vertically align as much as they possibly can. And I think you're going to probably see that trend continuing to occur. And then you're going to be seeing a push to continue to onshore uh, your manufacturing. So bring it back to domestically as much as possible. So those are the big trends. I, it's something that I'm definitely watching. I'm looking at and I'm actually in the process of pivoting some of our Chinese manufacturing to, to Malaysia, actually, and then exploring the opportunity to try and move some of it to Mexico as well. Although that's probably going to be a, a little bit longer of a play because that's going to be a much heavier lift. Yeah, that's a lot going on there. So you're both you're talking about, I guess, the problem or the question that we're dealing with. Is it over? And then the other one is the implication is what are we going to do about what, it? What do you do about it? Yeah, yeah Chris, I guess uh, either question what is it do you think it's it's really happening in the longer term is it persistent is it an ongoing trend is it a blip and or what are we going to do about it there's things you can and can't do about certain things and it's what i mean it's cliche right the only thing that, that is is constant is change kind of thing everything's going to change it's going to continue to change it'll probably change at a faster rate simply because of the internet and technology and innovation and all those things. But I don't see things changing so quickly that people can't see it coming and react to it. So like Kyle was saying, you have to manage your risk. Can I still get these parts, these products, these supplies? If I can, what's the price? Is it going up? Is it going down? What's the lead time? Like, what are the potential risks? Like everything is coming along and you're like, this is great. And you think it's gonna be like this forever. No, it's not. The pandemic clearly showed that no, things can be humming along and things can get disrupted by things you really probably weren't on your radar. None of us have lived through a pandemic before. So it wasn't really on a lot of people's radar that, oh, if a pandemic hits, what's going to happen to supply chain? And I think that if sellers and just anybody in e-commerce keeps serving their customers at the forefront of their minds to say, okay, we need to serve our customers. This has changed. Our lead time has extended. The costs have gone up over here. How is that going to affect our ability to serve our customers instead of thinking inwardly and being like, how is this going to affect how much cash money we're going to make on every single order and thinking every order is about them instead of every order being about what is the value proposition of the customer? How can we serve them? And I think a lot of customers are very open to communication. Their understanding of price changes or shortages, they understand these things if there's some communication. I frequently say communication solves practically every single problem. People get upset when they don't have information. They don't have that communication coming. Like things surprise them. Oh, you didn't tell me the price. Like if you told them ahead of time, hey, like people understand that things happen. We communicate with them. I think it almost can create more contacts with the customer to where they're going to be more loyal to you in the future. Uh, but I think a lot of people don't like to deliver bad news. So they try to avoid <laughs> things like that. But I don't know. Like people respect the truth, but the truth yeah. is undefeated. Like just tell the truth. The customers are going yeah. to understand. And I think a lot of customers historically haven't had a good view or an understanding view of what it takes to get yeah. a product to your door at an affordable price. No, there's a lot that goes on behind it. And a lot more, you know, just common citizens are understanding 
wait, there's a supply chain? And they didn't understand it before. They didn't have to understand it before. You know, yeah. but now it's in the news all the yeah. time. Now they see it. And they're like, you know what? That makes sense. Why the price of the products I normally buy have gone up. And I understand it. I'm not just going to blame a politician for like they're flipping switches and making prices go up. And so ultimately, I think long term things will be good with more access to information, more communication, more understanding of what goes into getting a quality product to somebody's door. I don't see any negative to any of that. But people don't like disruption. They, and they don't yeah. like the prices going up and they don't take you longer to get my stuff, you know, which yeah. is all the stuff that Amazon works on. Yeah. Uh, that's a very good point. I, I guess one the question that I pose is very much an obsession of e-commerce operators and what you're doing is refocusing on who we're there to serve in the first place and how they feel about it. And, and you're absolutely right. Nobody wants to deliver bad news, but it's incredibly bad idea to just hike your prices or just send a text to your workforce firing them and all the terrible practices we see that get into the news. But it, as you say, it's a much bigger disaster than it need be. And to your point about helping people see how products are made, I think actually that's pretty smart marketing that most of us underuse most of the time this might be a necessity being the mother of invention here where actually i think it makes sense to give people a sense of what effort goes into their products and um, mm-hmm. this is a good opportunity to do that actually so it's a great point for me i would i think differentiated between the short mid-term and long term is really important uh, i think the very immediate term at the time we're recording this in in may there is just monster problems in china the manufacturing export hubs on the verge of halting everything manufacturers are beginning to not be able to get hold of raw materials you can't shift between the trucking between different regions as i understand it is really difficult i've certainly got clients who source in from places like shanghai and Shenzhen, the big east coast cities that you know deliver a big percentage of the products to the west that are basically doing nothing <laughs> the goods are not moving at all so that's scary now the question is for me whether that continues i have to say my view of this in 2022 is that china is going to keep locking down because they probably don't want mass deaths which we leads into their political system and whether they what the thinking in the chinese leadership is about how that's perceived that's a nuanced complex question <laughs> i can't answer but i do think that we may well see more of that so that's a short term in the longer term there's an assumption i think that it's all about the the political relationship between the american leadership and the, and the chinese leadership and i agree with you kyle that the mood music on both sides is ever less good i think that's going to get worse which puts a big question mark over china sourcing but i do think that actually there are bigger forces at play as well i think the even the in the longer term as peter zion would say you see kyle that i'm a disciple of peter zion's thinking there is a question mark potentially over chinese china's survival as a centralized country if there is a continuation of oil price shocks and and food uh, shortages globally so they may have bigger fish to fry than giving us great products they may be just trying to survive (laughs) so i do feel that in the longer term there is even bigger reasons to consider sourcing other countries as you say carla also there is risk in every situation mexico is not famous for its efficiency and lack of corruption india is not famous for its good infrastructure to name but two obvious places vietnam and other places like that may have some of the best of both worlds but their capacity is going to be more limited so there, there is no easy solution to this stuff which brings me to the final sort of point i want to make at this point which is i think as both consumers and sellers we're going to have to get used to less good so we can't compare year on year or decade on decade it's going to be more about mm, relative to having no stuff getting stuff three weeks late and double the price i wanted is better than none and equally as a seller having a five percent profit margin is better than none 
it's not the same as the 40% margin you used to have. I don't know. I may be painting a very black picture here. Help me out. I'm being too black about this stuff. Kyle, take us back up. What, what are your second round thoughts? Well, one of the things that you sparked thinking for me was, and this is not just true of China, except it's just at a much larger scale in China, is the aging population. All West, uh, I would say first world sort of big economies, strong economic economies around the world are struggling with sort of birth rate and population growth, right? Like in many cases, it's on the decline. And the way you counter that, I guess, from a systematic political perspective is through immigration, right? And so you can allow immigration. The question will be, will people, will China be able to allow immigrants in to the country at a big enough rate to basically offset the loss of the workforce as it ages out? And will their economy be able to support that aging population over the long haul? I do think that's also an interesting sort of component that, as you mentioned, the other dynamics are involved. I'll say one other thing too. I think in the, over the last you know 20 years, 30 years, the concept of just-in-time inventory, just-in-time a supply chain was the the big push, right? You just wanted to have a just in time. And so reduce your waste, cut your cost efficiencies and, and have better cash flow management. I think that's going to be challenged over the next few years. And I think smart companies who have the cash are actually looking at, we're not going to be just in time. We're going to be get as much of our raw materials, get as much of our products produced as we possibly can even if we have to sit on them, because we are uncertain of what those supply chains are going to look like and absolutely looking to pick up and just, I guess, not hoard, but be very, be very cautious of being too thin at any one certain link in their supply chain. And I think that's one of my takeaways from this is if you have extra cash, do you just invest in your raw material and raw goods to to have that available to you almost as like a, a bank account? You know, sometimes we think, oh, you have money, cash in the bank, but it might be raw materials or inventory that you're actually trying to bank with, with any access capital that you might have. Yeah, very interesting points. I've got a couple of thoughts on that. First of all, the demographics thing is really critical, and I'm glad you put your finger on that. One of the clues to the fact that China's aging, uh, even if you just took the one data point of the average wage, which directly imparts our, our costs as, as e-commerce um, operators and buyers of goods, well, and consumers, is that there's been 11x or 1100% increase in the cost of, of wages over the last what couple of decades in China, which is a symptom of having an, a decreasing number of young people who can work in factories. And, and that is because there is. China has a real economic problem based on demographics. Now, you could argue if you look at um, US demographics, integration of supply chains, the cheap oil that is coming from fracking and the very cheap gas, which, by the way, is being burned off as a sort of waste product uh, even a couple of years ago, which is crazy when you think about the cost of ATEX in Europe. Our gas bills shot through the roof, as many people listening will have. But in that situation, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to, to look at the demographics of the USA and all those things to say that China could become more expensive to produce in the USA in a, in a given period of time, which is a crazy thought. But I believe that could be part of the demographic, the sort of longer term trends we're looking at here, which is great news for anyone who's based in the US and sells in the US. That's my thought anyway. I, I think actually we could be looking at radical stuff that is really helpful to the US and, and pretty bad news for a lot of the rest of the world. The only thing I would say about like power is the way that China's 
I think hoping to offset some of the power and energy cost is their investment in nuclear. Like they are all in like to the tune of billions and billions of dollars in, I think, spinning up something like 300. Don't quote me, I might be wrong on this, but it was a large number of new nuclear plants that they were trying to bring online over the next like 10 to 20 year ramp up. So one of the ways that they're going to try and offset any of their energy costs is by heavily investing in that. Will they pull it off? And that's a long arc of time. And depending on where they are at economically, we will see. But definitely is interesting to see their investment in that. Yeah, it's a very good point in which I wasn't aware of. Chris, another alternative, obviously one you're expert in, is shifting business models in response to the global situation getting very difficult everywhere. And I know you're the expert in having run you know, multiple seven-figure businesses in the Amazon sort of space. What's your thought with that kind of hat on in response to this? Well, it, it all comes together. So you guys are talking about just-in-time, you know, inventory systems and raw materials, which a lot of people in like the arbitrage world, like the kind of flipping products world, we don't really think about those things like raw materials. Like where does this plastic even come from? We don't think about it. And of course, I'm I'm definitely heavy in the print on demand, whether it's Merch by Amazon apparel products or my favorite KDP, Kindle Direct Publishing with print on demand books. And it's easy to say, I'm print on demand and I don't have to worry about inventory. Those books still need like raw paper. They need the raw paper, like raw trees or whatever, wherever it comes from. That still comes from somewhere. Now, I don't know where the you know, paper comes from. It's all you know US sourced or if it comes from China or whatever it is. But even if I'm all print on demand and I don't have to worry, I can sit here and be like, I don't worry about China at all. It might be that I need to worry about it because it might actually be part of the supply chain that I'm just not aware of. So there's beauty in having different business, but I think people need to be aware of some of these things. I think people need to look at it, you know, from a positive point of view as well. Like Mike, you were giving us the doom and gloom and all the bad potential things that could happen. And it's not there's always an opposite to it. But if you want to think of like some good things, I would say that demand for products is not going away. Right. So if you're a seller and you're like, what am I going to do? What do I have to raise my prices? The demand is not going away. So it's not going to be, oh, I'm not buying from Kyle anymore. I'm buying from this guy over here. Well the guy over here doesn't have a better price or a better product. He has all of the same restrictions, limitations, and he has to work with all of the just things in life that Kyle has to work with. So the demand's not going away. You just have to find a way to serve that demand. That's it. So get innovative. And there's innovation on the seller side in the US or the UK or wherever you're selling. And there's innovation in China as well. Like shippers want to ship, manufacturers want to manufacture. And I think people forget that sometimes. Oh, it's taking so long. Everybody in China is doing their best to get the products shipped. I mean, they want it shipped probably more than we want it shipped. And I think sometimes we lose sight of that. And under, you know, so you got to understand the other people on the other side, they want to ship just as well. So I mean, there's opportunities everywhere. And I think what's getting interrupted is selection, is price, and is delivery, speed, lead time, whatever you want to call it. And those are three things that Amazon is absolutely 100% invested in. And they have been for decades. Amazon knows that's what customers want. It's not a mystery, right? So don't reinvent the wheel. They want lower prices. They want incredible selection and they want to get their stuff fast. So if Amazon's in on that and you're in on that and the manufacturers and shippers in China are in on that, then, you know, this will pass, but things will change. Does manufacturing come back to the U.S.? Is it cheaper? Is it faster? Maybe, you know, for some things it probably will be. For some things it will probably be on China. And as Malaysia and as India and Mexico, as there's opportunities like, like there's gaps, there's like vacuums, like things are going to come in and fill that. There's opportunity here, guys. Let's do something here. So it's all going to work out. So just pay attention to it and, you know, make some moves when it makes sense to make some moves. But I hope nobody's listening to this, like with the super doom and gloom. Oh my gosh, I can't order from China anymore. What am I going to do? Do you want to serve customers? Then serve customers. 
like figure it out because if you don't someone else will like that's capitalism like 101 yeah. if you can provide the best service the best product the best price whatever it is you, if you have a sustainable competitive advantage you're going to be just fine and i think people lose sight of that the sustainable competitive advantage if, depending how they got into amazon and they're flipping other people's stuff they're doing arbitrage they're just like another wholesaler in a sea of wholesalers if their your private label product doesn't provide some kind of distinct particular specific advantage then yes, you will be in, at more risk than someone else who says, yeah, I have a customer base. I know what they like, and I'm going to find a way to, to get them products that they like at prices that, that they can afford. And you may have to pivot and adjust and have some ups and downs, but the opportunity is not going anywhere. The demand for products is only going up. I promise. It's, it's, I don't yeah. think it's ever. It's never gone down. Like it's, if it goes down, I'll, I'll be surprised. You know, let me know when it does. Yeah, it's a very good point. I so so a few things that strike me on that. You're not wrong to say that it doesn't matter what business model you're in. There's always some raw materials from somewhere that we need to be aware of uh, where that comes from. And a lot of the world is waking up to surprisingly very extended supply chains that they don't know where they end. So it's a good point. I imagine that print on demand is probably less of a risk than plastic widgets from China, but it's not zero. But as you say, it's yeah, not, you I, can sell information. You want to go straight, no risk, mm -hmm. no supply yeah. chain, sell information, right? Sell digital yeah. products. You can certainly do right. that if you want. It's a different game, but it's yeah. not like it's a game that doesn't have rules. You can't learn. Yeah. I talk of which I've got to say that the, uh, the, the way to play the game, of course, is the, Authorpreneur Blueprint, the great tome that I've been there working my way through. Just a bit of product placement there because it's the obvious thing to consider, I would say. And Jason and I had a conversation the other day where we were talking about how to deal with this whole e-commerce in the geopolitical sort of crazy times we live in. And he did bang the drum pretty heavily for digital products because, of course, that's his entire business. And he, he and Cinnamon have been running for a long time. And uh, yeah, I think it's underutilized by physical product sellers myself uh, because it is a different risk profile. It's a different skill set, but it's not a different market. So if I'm going to sell a book on how to garden and how to buy plot, how to make your pot plants beautiful to people I'm selling pots to, it's not a different person. It's a different skill set, but you can hire skill sets. Most of us don't manufacture plastic yeah. pots in our back garden either. So that's my thought. Well, let me just say this as we talk about digital a little bit. I would say 95% of whatever target market you are in aren't going to be looking to buy at any given second only about five percent if and that's being generous of, of anybody no matter what product you're selling are actually interested in buying your product or an alternative product from you in that very second so what do you do with those other 95 percent of people that aren't ready to buy you essentially serve them with content. You serve them digitally, giving them informa information to help them make a decision around buying. It's the top of the funnel. People are looking. The, and if you think about a buying journey, right, people make make choices along that that arc until they're actually ready to, to make a decision. And they found your product, hopefully, that they've selected out of many other options and they buy. But before then, there's a lot of opportunity to educate to entertain, to inform an audience where I think digital products absolutely fit in an amazing slot and that we just don't really put a lot of our effort and energy there. And I think that's to our detriment as e-commerce sellers, as physical product sellers. It's a great point. And I think thinking about the wider, the, the broader customer journey that people go on to buy, and to your point, Chris, of having a sustainable competitive advantage, having a real brand that's distinct, that connects with people, and as you were saying, communicating where you're at and why you're really trying to serve them and how you're overcoming the challenges. 
that are in the between you serving them and getting the goods all of that feel comes together into being a more sophisticated brand because we have to be and actually i feel like this is going to be a very valuable sorting exercise for the e-commerce community because you know apart from the 2008 9 10 great recession when e-commerce was still powering through and growing very quickly we're not really as a sort of community experienced a full-on uh, recession i think in the lifetime of amazon and even e-commerce as a whole really so i would say that this is going to be a great sorting where a lot of people with mediocre brands or no brands are going to be you know pushed out but the rest of us will be forced to as you said chris think really hard and innovate really hard on behalf of our customers and actually i think a lot of better brands will result from the end of it that's my my feeling so to try and end on a more of an up note let's just uh, do sort of 30 seconds last thoughts each chris let's come to you i i like the sustainable competitive advantage i think people I think a lot of people in the space especially from my side of the space don't think about it this way. They flip products. They think they're amazing, which they are for actually taking some action and doing something. But if they don't stop and and you know stand back and be like, "Wait a minute. What value am I providing here? I am connecting a low price product with a higher price on a marketplace for a seller who they get the convenience of not having to find it like I found it. Like that's replaceable. Someone else can do that. Someone else can learn how to do that. If you connect with a customer and solve their problem with your face, present they're going to be like I remember Chris Green he helped me solve my problem he answered a question for me and you know what when I'm ready to buy I'm going to buy something from him and I think a lot of and myself included I went through this where not realizing where the actual value was and when you learn it the hard way then you're like oh now that I've learned that I can do this for myself better so I think there's going to be massive opportunities for everybody in this space is everybody going to win no some people are going to lose you can try your best and still lose but you can keep playing the game because as the rules change the game is still there This is an infinite game that doesn't end. So if the rules shake you up and you got to sit on the sidelines for a while, that's fine. As the rules change, read the rules, figure out what you want to do and and get back in the game. And the best players win. And how do you win? By providing the most value to the customer. It's not by beating Michael Vizi, it's not by, "Oh, I beat you, Kyle." No, we're not in that kind of competition. Our competition is to whoever can provide the most value to the customer at the best price. That's that's the game we all play. That's the game you should want to play. If you're playing a different game, you're going to beat your competitors. You're ultimately going to lose because okay, you beat. You won that one. There's another competitor. They're <laughs> they're never going to end. So you'll never actually win. And yeah, I mean, you can probably guess that there's a, a book called The Infinite Game. You can find it on Amazon. It'll explain a lot. Yeah, that sounds great. I, I like that thinking a lot. I think that my wrap up is going to be really to reflect on your excellent thoughts, Chris, because I, I love those. First of all, sustainable competitive advantage is the absolute key. You're so right, and obsessing about that is the right way to obsess because that will build something if you get it right as you say of value and if you get it wrong then there's another game to play so i love this idea of infinite game it reminds me of i think uh, chicho said something like success is never final failure is never total so in other words just because you feel like a genius today doesn't mean it can't all go wrong next year and just because you feel like a fool and it's gone wrong this year doesn't mean next year might not be infinitely better so i i like that thinking and the final thing um that really mirrors what the the genius Jeff Bezos said which is that Amazon should be aware of its competitors but it should not fear its competitors it fear its consumers and this is a strange and very slightly creepy slightly big brotherish very typical Jeff Bezos phrase which i think he's engineered as a third party seller i'm always worried about my competition but i'm terrified that the consumers were going to take down my products by complaining about them so <laughs> that's the rather scary version of the same thing which is think about the consumers not the competitors and you'll be on the right track that's great great corrective to a lot of thinking out there Kyle take us home final thoughts is sourcing in china over i would say the answer is no 
But I think that if you have a business continuity plan in place, meaning if you are a physical product manufacturer and you have one single manufacturer and that manufacturer has to be in China, you should be thinking about, should I be looking to get my material, my, my widget sourced somewhere else, manufactured somewhere else? And if that happened to be outside of China in a different place geopolitically, that's probably going to be in your overall benefit. I have, when I think about even risk, I'm like, what if the factory that I order my products from burns to the ground? It's, it's going to have the same net effect on, on my business. It won't be as big as like a big geopolitical war or anything like that, but it still has the same net effect. So I think when you're thinking about your business continuity, how much inventory, what's your run rate? If you couldn't manufacture or order anything else right now, inventory-wise, how much of a run rate do you have? And then I also think about looking at having, making sure you have alternatives in place, right? Like you are constantly thinking... Okay, what what if this happens? And not that I expect any of those things to happen. Like I fully expect that if I want to source from China for the next 10 years, I probably could. But you can't, hope is not a business model. And so you want to make sure that you're just not focused on the, the hopeful wishfulness of it going forward perfectly as planned. I think yeah. from my standpoint, you have to have alternatives and you have to have backups if you want to stay in, in the game for the long haul. Um, and that backup might include switching business models. I think that's a totally, absolutely and uh, valid choice. Absolutely. If you're talking about single source dependency, you're always talking about a, a big risk wherever that is. And it's sourcing, selling, doesn't matter. It, one is the loneliest number in business is what they say. And yes. if you're talking about single source dependency, I guess the German government right now is really seriously aware of that. That's the most striking example in the world I can think of right. where you do not want to be an optimist and just have a single source of anything in your business. So great stuff, guys. Thank you so much for a thoughtful response to a, a rather provocative question. If you have enjoyed today's show, if you're please do join us on Call-In where we go live on Tuesdays, 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern or 4 p.m. UK time. And we are obviously available on all good podcasts near you as well, including Apple Podcasts and uh, Stripe. Uh, what do you call it? Spotify. I'm losing my, my different platforms here. <laughs> we're available on Spotify. So we're not available on Stripe. That's not a podcast uh, platform. So it just remains for me to say many thanks uh, to you for listening and to Kyle Hamer, Chris Green, Abu, Michael Vizi. Thank you so much for listening to the e-commerce leader podcast on Call It. That was the e-commerce leader podcast with Michael Vesey in London, England and Jason Miles in Seattle, Washington. If you liked this content, don't forget to subscribe to the show on your podcast app for free resources, including PDFs and videos on topics like traffic, products and sales channels. Just go to www.theecommerceleader.com. No hyphens, just as it sounds. Thanks so much for listening.